And now, the Andy Greenwald Podcast. Andy, Andy. Welcome to the Gremlin Network. My name is Andy Greenwald. My guest today, a very funny comedian who is the co-host of The Opie Show on Sirius XM Radio. And his new comedy special is available on demand now from Epics. It's called Contextually Inadequate. Jim Norton, welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to have you here for a number of reasons. You're a very funny guy. Thank you. As I was saying before we started, you are more experienced talking to microphones than I am, so feel free to, to rest control this at any moment. No, it's okay. I like being passive. Passive in a nice, rich yeah, yeah, leather yeah. chair. Absolutely. Um, I really wanted to talk to you because I love the piece that you wrote in Time Magazine. You wrote a piece about outrage culture um, oh. coming off of the Daily Show mini controversy, whatever you want to call it. Sure. But what was interesting to me before even getting into that was I watched your epic special, which is on demand now. Yes. Uh, and you were talking about this stuff then, and you filmed the special before the Trevor Noah dust-up, or whatever sure. you want to call it, happened. Yeah. So this has been on your mind for a while, clearly. Oh, yeah. It's kind of a theme through my act for the last few years. Yeah. It's like it started with Imus, and the, the politically correct, everybody getting in trouble for crap, it's like that's kind of what's been fueling a lot of the annoyance I have. So yeah. I've kind of talked about it in every special, and it refreshes itself every year. There's always new stuff. Like, this year I don't have anything yet. Like, I started doing material. Yeah. Um, and I think I'm about 35 minutes into new material and there's been no outrage yet. Are, are you, do you build a new hour every year? Like, yeah, the, I try to, yeah. Yeah. A year, maybe 16 months, whatever it takes. Um, the last one took me about a year, but then I had to wait to shoot it. So, right. But then Anthony got fired, so it wound up changing the whole tone of the set anyway. Yeah. Because I wanted to talk about Ant, so I had to restructure everything and, you know, push a lot of things out and put things in that I probably wouldn't have. Why do you think outrage is so appealing to people now? I mean, I don't know. If, I'm sure you saw this too, like Slate at the end of the year when everyone else was running their like top 10 best movies of the year, they ran this big piece called The Year in Outrage. And they actually put up a calendar where it was what people on the internet were angry about every day, every calendar oh, day wow. of I didn't 2014. That. That's awesome. Oh, it was amazing because you look at this and you think, oh, I... I was angry about that on March 3rd, and then you realize you've forgotten about it by sure. April 15th. I mean, it doesn't last. Right. There's something about it that is, I mean, you talk about it in the piece you wrote in Time. It's kind of intoxicating, right? Yeah, it's an addiction. It's like, you know, people are basically followers anyway. So when they see people getting attention for something, they're like, I want to do that too. Yeah. And I, I also think it's the same motive um, as when people say something horrible on Twitter for no reason. Like, people want to be heard. Yeah. And no one, like, me and Lindy West debated rape jokes on uh, when W came out about Bella's right. show. And uh, she was very nice. I didn't agree with her, but we got along. I mean, you know, she's on one side, I'm on the other. And at the end, it was very friendly with me and her and her boyfriend. And then people are going on Twitter and they're, and they're saying, like, you should get raped and all these things because we had debated rape jokes. Yeah. So she writes a piece about that. And I wrote another piece for uh, this website called Exo Jane because, it, like, when you watch people doing that, it's like not that people really wanted Lindy West to get raped. They were saying that because we were debating rape jokes. Like if we had been debating drunk driving, they would have said, get killed by a drunk driver. Because you used the language, they were okay using it back, basically. Well, no, because they, it was because her position on that subject annoyed it, so they were trying to use her position to hurt her. So right. whatever the subject that they disagreed with, they would have attacked her with it. If right. it was smoking, and I was pro-smoking, and she was anti-smoking, they would have went on and said, you should get lung cancer. And it's because people just want to be heard. Like, they feel like if they weigh in with an argument. Yeah. And they go, hey, look, this is why a joke about rape is okay. And then they give an argument. They're afraid that they won't be heard. Like, they'll be ignored yeah. or nobody will listen or it will be a small statement in a big sea of people talking. But if you yell something horrible, everybody listens. It's like if you walk into a room and you kind of go, hello, in a party, 
the murmur just continues and nobody hears you. Yeah. But if you walk in and you throw an M80 on the floor, but it's like, what? <laughs> and even for that moment of them looking, that's, they feel like they've been recognized. Yeah. And I also think people like to feel like they got something done. So if you do something on your podcast that's offensive and everybody pretends they're upset and actually convinces themselves they're upset, A, they feel like they're involved in a cause, and B, if you get canned, hey, man, we did something. We're not emasculated. Yeah. Well, you talk about getting along with the person you were debating, and I feel like that's the other element to all this, right? I mean, you could get along with anybody in person. You're, you can recognize the other person's humanity. You can agree sure. to disagree, all of that. But one of the things that the Internet has given us is this veil of anonymity, and not even anonymity anymore, but the distance, right, to, to sort of, it ceases to be an actual person, it ceases to be an actual idea, it's an abstraction, and you right. can get really heated about an abstraction. Yeah, and people say a lot of things on in the, online, and I've gotten a lot of crap, people get mad at me for saying, talking about online cowardice, and people think that, like, what do you want us to give out our social security numbers? It's like, no, of course not. Yeah. And, uh, and they also raise the point, like, well, how come you don't ask for people, you don't say that they're cowards if they give you a compliment? And it's simply because people who compliment you aren't saying something that they probably wouldn't say in person. Right. Like if someone's like, hey, I enjoy your podcast, that's probably something they'd say if they saw you in the street. But you suck and, you know, I hope you drop dead is something that they wouldn't say. And there's just something impersonal yeah. about somebody saying it from a fake name. Um, you know, and then there are times where I get it. Like if you're a cop and you're criticizing the police force, or, like you could legitimately lose your job for that. Right. Um, you know, there, or whistleblowers there are, are like... Yeah, you know. whistleblowers. There, I'm not an idiot. Like, yeah. I, there are reasons where anonymity yeah. is simply to get your message out. But then there's the other side of it where people just want to be scumbags in a way that they wouldn't be scumbags if you knew who they were. Like you could say Jim Norton sucks yeah. under your real name on Twitter. I might retweet you and you might get crap. But so what? You're not going to get fired for saying Jim Norton sucks. So don't hide behind the fact that, yeah. well, Anthony Cumia got fired. You're not going to get fired for saying, Opie stinks, Jim Norton stinks. That's yeah. fair. You could say that. You could say you hate my comedy. No one's going to fire you for that. Well, it, it's been interesting to me to watch because I, I feel like for the first few years of the internet, there was it was almost positive that people could have these private selves where you could find people who liked the music you liked or you like model trains and they like model trains or all those stories about people who couldn't find love and then they made a connection via email from a country away. Like, nice private self stories. Yeah. The last few years has really been about cultivating a public self, which is kind of is just as made up as the private self. Right. You know, like... It, it kind of it's kind of equally phony, and and that's been bugging me more and more. I mean, I have a Twitter account. I use it for to send out my work or to make jokes or whatever. But I would never share any other part of my life on there. Right. You know, so in that way, it's it's not really representative of me. But yet, it becomes this public representation. Yeah, I mean, I, I think like for me, I use it for everything. Um, yeah. and I like it. Well, you do that on stage too, which I wanted to talk about. I mean, you are very open on stage. It's part of your professional life. Yeah, I mean, it just becomes easier to write because that's what you're living. So it's kind of like what you talk about is yeah. my own, and you do kind of narrow down your audience by doing that. But I'm okay with that because it's the way I like. To, it's what I want to talk about when I perform. Yeah. Um, you know, and, I, and again, I'm not, I don't want to come off like I'm saying. Like, I understand why some things have to be uh, anonymous because people would use certain political beliefs you have to hurt you. Sure. I'm, again, I'm not talking about the places where it does make sense. I mean, obviously, overseas, it's very necessary in a lot of these repressive regimes. Yeah. You know what I mean? You have to be. You're going to be killed. Yeah. I'm only talking about the people who are just using it to be jerk-offs, and they know who they are. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like I, I have to take the embarrassment sometimes of saying things that come back to bite me. 
and I'm smart enough not to go out and go. I give very opinions that are very unpopular sometimes. Um, you know, when when uh, the NSA got busted for spying on people, I was like, good, and I used it to attack people because yeah. they're nosy. Which, of yeah. course, I don't think the NSA is good; they're despicable. But I just kind of used it to go, well, that's what you get, dummies. Yeah. And people were like, look how he feels about the NSA, and they attacked me. But you know what? I said it as Jim Norton. I didn't say it as, you know what I mean, uh, you know, Jimmy 1522, so you didn't know who it was. But you also said it as Jim Norton, the comedian. So what is the difference that people, what, what is it that people in 2015 don't get? About There's comedy? no difference between Jim Norton, the comedian, and the person. Okay. Do I exaggerate once in a while for the sake of a joke? Sure I do. But I can't, I never hide behind, hey, I don't really feel that way. I, I didn't, like, I'll, I'll do things that are just in humor, so it's like, relax already. But if I say something like that, whether it's me as a comedian or me as just Jim, I am saying it. Yes. So, you and know you stand I mean? by it. You stand so it. Oh, I certainly do. And yeah. people respond to that because people aren't going to differentiate between that and the real me. Nobody cares. I'm coming out. It's just as Jim Norton verified. So no matter what I'm talking about, right. it's under the same umbrella of Jim. But I guess there's been a lot of blowback recently. And you, this is what you wrote about in the timepiece about Trevor Noah going after comedians, being offended by what comedians say, overreacting or reacting. I don't want to sure. come out either way about it, what, 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 what people say in their sets. And I feel like there seems to have been something either lost about what it is that, that you guys are doing, something misunderstood. So what, how would you phrase that? I mean, what is being missed here? What is being not understood or appreciated about the, not just the art of comedy, but the work of comedy? Nothing. What's being missed okay. is the self-centeredness and the narcissism of the people trying to get comedians in trouble. Right. Comedy hasn't changed. Comedians haven't yeah. changed. It's the fact that people can now go after comics because they think that, A, they're going to piggyback the comedian just to get their message out there, or it's just another chance to get that. I really believe that addictive feeling of being outraged. Like, um, and, and, and you said before, that they, they pass so quickly, whether it's Ban Bossy or um, you know, Cancel Cobert or all these pathetic hashtags based yeah. in nothing. Um, it's just one person trying to remove another person's right to say something. And as much as I attack anonymity, yeah. I never want people to get in trouble for what they say. Yeah. Like, I'm one of the ones that defends everybody's right to say what they want. And the people have said things I hate, and I'm never outgoing. They should be fired. So, like, while I call you out for your anonymity, I'm the, I really do defend your right to say what you want. I don't want you to be fired because you're anti-gay or you're anti-Jewish or you're anti-whatever it is. You yeah. should be able to say it. Well, that's the other thing. In, your, in, your, um, in the special, there's a great bit you do and involves um, – you talk about Paula Dean and you talk about Phil Robertson. And Phil yeah. Robertson is the Duck Dynasty guy. Yeah. Weird to hear. He is super not into gay marriage. Sure. I'm into gay marriage. Sure. Totally for it. It doesn't really bother me or take away my enjoyment of watching the show, which I don't really watch to be honest. Sure. But – what he cares or doesn't care about gay marriage. You know what I mean? Like, if you, when I've watched that show and they made me do it to review it once, what I liked about it was that it was just goofy. It was, yeah. it was like a sitcom in CBS in the 80s. You know, it was totally harmless and it was fun. And at no point in that did his political or religious leanings affect me in any way or offend right. me in any way. It was just that was him doing his stuff and making entertainment. Why do you think people want everyone to agree with them now, even outside of the realm of how we engage with them? Because we are, everyone gets a trophy and we're a culture of narcissists. Yeah. What I want, I should get. And what I like, I should be exposed to. I need a trigger warning so I don't hear something I don't like or that might upset me. Like we're teaching people how like, it's so you should never have to be upset. You should not only not have to be upset, you should never hear anything that you find personally objectionable. Yeah. And if you do... The person who said it should somehow, A, apologize, B, be penalized, or even better, apologize and then be penalized. It's just, it's really silly. 
That like I didn't like that you offended me should end in a period, not a semicolon. Nothing happens because you're upset. Yeah. Who, like I've been offended by things. People have said things about Patrice O'Neill's death that I didn't like or whatever. Yeah. It's like you have every. I didn't like it, yeah, but it, I didn't go after her. You should be fired for that. No, I mean you. You were hurt. You are a human being. You, you yeah. experience these things like everybody else. Or I just thought the guy was a scumbag. Like, there's a guy on one of Jamie Foxx's shows. And I don't know the guy, but he said something about Patrice that wasn't wasn't horrible, but it was kind of yeah. douchey. And we addressed it on Opie and Anthony, but not once did we say, like, oh, my God, get him off the radio. You yeah. just address it, and you can attack the guy back. That's it. Well, did you see um, over the past weekend uh, the, the cast of the Avengers movie? You know, they were doing a press junket. Uh, Robert Downey Jr.? Well, those guys, but it was in this case, it was it was Jeremy Renner and Chris Evans. Oh, yes. And, and they were, you know, they're on day, what, 26 of a global tour yeah. talking about these movies to like, you know, the local affiliates. And someone asked about Scarlett Johansson's character, fictional right. character, like making eyes at more than one character. And these guys were like, oh, Black Widow is a slut. Now, you probably shouldn't call anybody a slut. Or in, at least it's a comic book character. It's a kid's thing, but whatever. Yeah. Right. But it was a fictional character and they were just being dumb. Right. There was a mini bonfire over the weekend about outrage about this. And I feel like there's just it, – it's troubling on a lot of levels. The biggest one is probably the one you keep talking about, which is does anyone really care? Yeah, no. But the second one is I don't care if the guy playing Hawkeye in a movie has bad opinions about a fictional character sure. or even Scarlett Johansson. That's sure. not what my engagement with him is. Right. And I wish that people would realize the, – the, and companies panic – and it's easy for me to say they shouldn't panic, but when you're getting all these people, they're not used to it. Like as a comic, right. I'm used to people telling me I stink on Twitter, and I'm used to audiences. You have a hard hard skin about this stuff. Yeah, you learn to handle it, man. Or, or audiences hating my guts, or right. whatever, whatever it is. So you kind of realize how to combat their dislike. But a lot of these executives, they're just not used to it. All of a sudden, they hear everybody complaining, and they hear like, "There's oh my god, there's rumblings, like we're going to get rid of you because we're going to lose everything." It's like, don't you realize that everything? These things are horrible little tornadoes, but they go quickly. Or, or tornadoes seem like it's very destructive in a moment, and then it's gone. Yeah, and that's the way these things are. They're not going to last. They're not going to boycott your products, and no one's going to stop wiping with a certain toilet paper because somebody made a gay joke. On a comedy stage, like, or however it breaks down, or because somebody called somebody a slut in an interview. You know what I mean? It's stupid. We're creating this false narrative of, of, of straw men and of immediate behavior when it doesn't really, it's not really the way anybody actually lives their lives. Right. And they always say things, and I love this. This is, again, nobody puts the focus on the right thing. And you say something, free speech comes from responsibility. Ah, shut up. How come nobody says that anybody listening has responsibility? Mm. Like, why do you and your ears have no responsibility? Like, why is there no one saying, what's wrong with me that I'm so upset at what a guy said that I want his right to say it removed? Or I want his livelihood taken away or I want him fired? Like, why does nobody go, Jesus Christ, I'm sensitive. I need to stop being so sensitive. Well, I've been thinking about this in relation to everything you've been talking about, but, you know, think about someone like Mel Gibson, okay? Now, I, I'm glad he wasn't invited to my bar mitzvah. Sure. Don't love the things that he says. Sure. Probably don't even like the guy. Sure. But I kind of miss seeing him in movies. You know, I don't want him to be rewarded for being a jackass or an anti-Semite, but at the same time, I never liked him in movies. I didn't like Lethal Weapon because I thought, like, he donated to B'nai B'rith. You know right. what I mean? Like, that, it's this strange extra layer that I don't even know how to process. I don't know how, how to relate to that. Yeah, his, um, his, his personal stuff... Like, you know, hey, look, I, I thought his views were kind of anti-Semitic, but that's who he is. I'm not saying it's right. Yeah, yeah. But, but he's... look at uh, him yelling at his girlfriend, Oksana. Okay, he yells and screams at her. 
and, and we don't mind his private voicemails being put all over the internet. There's not one person sticking up for this creep's right to privacy, and there's no one sticking up and going, here's some of my voicemails, or you know what, I'm as big a hunk of garbage as he is in a relationship. I mean, he was kind of He was bad. Yeah. He was pretty bad. Yeah, I, I, but I pulled a few like that. <laughs> yeah. But it's like people don't go like, wow, I'm a pig in arguments too. Well, also there was a, it, it's all happening really fast is the other thing, because if you look at, just let's just, just look at entertainment, because you could do this with politics. Sure, you sure, do sports, anything, yeah. Sports. A lot of people that we culturally love throughout history have kind of been monsters Yeah, in their private lives. That's always existed, but we kind of either didn't know about it until after they were gone or we didn't pay attention to it or there just wasn't the mechanism to learn about it. Um, all of a sudden now that's all we have. You know, it's, it, in order to be a public person, it's not just you go, you're in your movie or you do your comedy show, you're 24-7. And it's like no one knows how to deal with this. It's like we were, you know, you have a bit in your special about having your six-inch glass phone that right. no one warned you about. None of us were warned about it. No one's prepared for this. We didn't see the immediacy of the reactions coming. Yeah. And it's like you look at Pete Rose. Okay, what he did was stupid. And, you know, I got why he was in trouble and he was really arrogant about it and he was a bit of an ass. But then, you know, well, he didn't uphold the, the, the morals and virtues of the game or A-Rod. Right. Ty Cobb, arguably the greatest hitter of all time, not even being a racist, which is whatever he was, would sharpen his spikes to injure other players more. Yeah. He was out to physically injure people with spiked He's shoes. An awful person. Was an awful guy and a dirty player. Yeah. Um, look, there's a million examples we can give of why we're being such hypocrites now. And look, just because things were bad then, it doesn't mean they, should, they have to be bad now. But can we give each other a break? Like, give each other... That learning curve. That's what bothers me is we're all acting like we're not in this together. Right. Like, you know, with the phones, um, you know, the, the fact that other people like like Steve Croft from 60 Minutes, I forget what story buried his. There was a national tragedy that happened. There was whatever it was. I forget. But the Steve Croft uh, from 60 Minutes yep. talking dirty. Oh, yeah. Not particularly good at it. Older guy, his dumb girlfriend or whoever she was released. It, <laughs> it wound up in the Daily News. Yeah. How, first of all, how is that news? That a guy talks dirty to a woman when he's married. How is that newsworthy that we deserve to see it? Yeah. So the news are disgusting because they're printing stuff like that that's none of our business. And is, but amazing how fast they turned on one of their own. This guy's done nothing but dedicate his life to the news business. And what do they do? The first chance they have to snake up his private life and humiliate him, they do it. But if you go to a news guy and you go, uh, can I see some text between you and yeah. your wife? Oh, definitely not. Yeah. You know, so that that's where we're just being disgusting. It's like we're not treating each other. Like I try to treat people like the way I want. So whenever I make fun of stuff like that, I always expose myself too. Yeah. Like whether it's my, my, my sexual stuff or my, my, you know, I'm hypocritical at times too or whatever it is. You try to tell on yourself just so you're not some, some self-righteous ass. Yeah. I'm like I'm a flawed dummy just like all of you guys are. Well, here's something I've been thinking about a lot and not just in terms of um, the outrage culture but just in terms of – just being a professional person myself or trying to be, we don't seem to be comfortable with failure anymore on any level. Right. And I think about that specifically in terms of your career, not your personal career, sure, but, sure, sure. but stand-ups, comedians have to fail, right? I mean, yeah. many people I've talked to have told that to me, that, the, that what made them good comedians now was just years of getting bombing and hammered and, and, yeah, bombing sure. and failing. And part of that failure is in public, which is even worse. Um, but I feel like we now, maybe it's because we're used to an on-demand culture or we can pass judgment quickly. Or I don't know why, but I do notice that a critical, as a critic myself, like the response to things, it's either the best thing or that's it. Yeah, we uh, again, we are not not particularly comfortable with failure. Maybe, maybe it's just uh, 
again, the being spoiled and told that we're good. Like a lot of, you see a lot of these like students commit suicide now. Like you know, uh, you know, NYU they're jumping off the roof because oh, the pressure yeah. of academics or whatever it was was too. There was a rash of them for a while. Yeah, and maybe that's always happened, and I didn't notice it. But it also seems like people aren't being taught how to fail and how to come in second and third, like for real. So what happens is when they're confronted with things, they don't know what to do. They just piss themselves off the roof because they have had no like no failures, no being told you're not good enough all the way up. And there's a way to do that without humiliating people. Sure. But it's like um, you don't get a trophy when you suck at a job. You get fired. Yeah. You know what I mean? People don't know how to handle that. They don't know how to handle being rejected anymore because they're not being kind of taught on the way up. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and it's very much... Now it's all in public, and you know all the years that that you spent bombing in clubs or, oh, or, or whatever. The, all know, of it was publicly, yeah. All of that's publicly, but it's still a different level of public than what sure. we have now. And that I wanted to bring it back to the Trevor Noah stuff because, you know, people, as you wrote in your timepiece, went diving into his into, into his Twitter history. Yeah. So they found tweets from four or five years old. What offended me about them was that a lot of them weren't funny. Like yeah. I wasn't the jokes, like the racial stuff and the and the Jewish stuff. It was just kind of lame. And it wasn't that funny, but comedians aren't funny for a long time until they find their voice, right? And part sure. of getting good is trying and you get beat back down and you figure it out. And that's what it looked like to me. It was as if someone had found John Stewart's or, or your club dates from sure. when you were his age and then... Or he'll tell jokes there. at this time that won't be funny. Like You always right. have that as a comedian. Like Trevor, they went back and got these um, the, the, the jokes about Jews he had done and fat girls. Yeah. So I guess he's anti-Semitic and he's anti-fat girl, yeah. I guess. Um, meanwhile, you know, when he, when he was a kid, his parents had to walk on separate sides of the street in South Africa because it was illegal for them to be married. Yeah. Like he comes from a place of more prejudice than probably, you know, anybody under the age of 50 or 60 did today. Yeah. You know, so he comes from a, a place where he definitely understands that world and he has every right to make fun of whatever he wants. I mean, even if he didn't come from that. But even though the jokes, some of them weren't great, some of them were funny, that's okay. Like... Pendulette retweeted my article and said, Jimmy, and then Harry Shearer um, you know, addressed Penn. I happen to be in the at mansions. Yeah. And, and, and Harry goes, here's what he missed. It's got to be funny. Yeah. Um, and that really annoyed me because, you know, like, like what I don't get what funny is. I didn't miss it, dude. I, yeah. I think I, I, to me, the intent to be funny is all that's important. And uh, because if you go just by it's got to be funny. I know Harry Shearer is a funny guy yeah. because his history has proved that he's funny. He's never made me laugh once. Yeah. Not once. And uh, I've probably never made him laugh. But I'm not stupid enough to go, he's not funny just because I didn't laugh, so therefore he's invalidated as a funny person. But also, isn't part of the process a young comedian, whether it's Trevor Noah or anyone else, has the intent to be funny, puts himself out there, tries, sure. bombs, offends someone in the process? Sure. Isn't part of the process then saying, well, no... You get the feedback, and the feedback needs to be, well, that here's why that offended me. Here's why that wasn't funny. Here's where you can do better. Here's how you workshop it. And then they become better, both as a comedian and as a person. I think as soon as you start saying, nope, you're out of the club. Right. You're out. You're out. You're out. Then, then where are we? We're nowhere. We've kicked everyone out, and no one can get better. Yeah, it's just a very silly... Uh being, and, I love, and then this other thing that these guys were saying is, well, Twitter's not a comedy club. You shouldn't try your stuff on Twitter. All these dummies. Here's what Twitter is, and this is what bothers me about the whole retweet and get mad at Trevor. If you follow somebody, you are signing up to listen to what they say. I want to hear what you say. Yeah. If somebody retweets it, don't get mad at the guy that said it. 
Get mad at the guy you followed who, who it, showed it who to you. Who put it in your feed, yeah. Because if you walk into work tomorrow morning and you tell a dirty Polish joke or a Jewish joke or whatever it is, and you offend 30 people, do they get mad at you or do they say, who told you that joke? We're going to find him. Yeah. No, they don't go after the source. They get mad at you because you're the one that brought it to them. Right. So if you're mad at somebody for retweeting something you find offensive, realize you're following a person you probably shouldn't be following and unfollow them. That's how you handle that. That's you, how big people handle things. Do you know Trevor? Have you dealt with him? I do. I like Trevor a lot, yes. And so you I mean, you have faith in him as a comedian and as a person and all these things. He's a, he's a really funny comedian. Yeah. He's an internationally very successful guy. Yeah. He has a different angle on a lot of things. Yeah, I think he's a really smart comic. I mean, I, I've had him on, the, on uh, the show with Opie, and I know him for a couple of years from the clubs. And, uh, you know, he's an opinionated guy, and uh, he's a bright guy. What struck me about the reaction is that it was increased because it wasn't no one was thinking about Trevor Noah as a young comedian who's being handed a TV show he was being handled the impossible mantle of Jon Stewart sure. has become not just a stand up he's not really considered that anymore right. even though that's what he was sure. truly great at for a lot of people you know politically minded or engaged or liberal people he's like their comfort he's this important figure in their life no one can be that but the you know what people i think were really shocked and offended by was that that, well, I think they were shocked and offended that, that they felt that he was being sold to them as the next Jon Stewart. But no one can be that, and he would probably say that himself. Yeah, they, if they wanted the next Jon Stewart, they would have gotten a guy who was like Jon Stewart. That's right. But they wanted to go – I mean, besides Trevor being a funny guy, he has a tremendous international appeal. Everything now – one of the reasons Fallon is so successful is because his online videos are tremendous. Kimmel's online videos are tremendous. Yep. So you have to have a huge online presence, which I'm sure Jon Stewart does, but but – Trevor has like a real international online presence, which is a smart move too. I mean, so they just, you know, I think people are targeting things a little bit differently now. Yeah, I mean, it's also a different, right. I mean, John had a, everyone watched those clips. Like, you know, my, my father would send me a clip from oh, that okay. show, but, but he, John Stewart isn't on Twitter. He's not part of that generation. And I feel like it was actually very smart on the part of Comedy Central to be like, we're just going to start the show over. We're going to reboot. This is what Daily Show means now. Yeah, and going forward, but but just going back to the whole thing, he hasn't done it yet. That's what's so crazy to me. It was it was as if people wanted a scalp on day one. They went yeah. looking for it, and they thought they had it. Public it, is bloodthirsty. They're very bloodthirsty, and that's the you know what it is. Sorry to interrupt you too. No, we don't no. we don't beat each other over the heads anymore. Americans have always been kind of phony with our ugliness. We're fake with it. We hide it. Yeah. We pretend we don't have it. We say that we're a very open place, in, and um, Afghanistan should treat gays better. Do you guys think they should be married? Absolutely not. Now, yeah, we don't stone gays in the streets, but uh, we don't completely support them either. Um, we are always telling everybody else how to live their lives, and uh, we have tremendous amount of inconsistencies here too. So I, I think that's the way it is. I think we still have a pile-on mentality. We like to pretend that we're compassionate, we're understanding, but we still like to go for the throat. So when a guy says something we don't like, it's a chance just to go for the throat. And liberals, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of in the middle, but liberals have disappointed me so much with language. And it's like, I'm not just attacking them. I kind of know what I'm in for with the conservatives. Like, I never think the conservatives will stick up for Jim Norton, ever. Yeah. You know what I mean? If I say something dumb. But the liberals were supposed to be the ones that defended it. You know what I mean? And they're even going after Bill Maher now, who's oh, a yeah. very liberal guy. But he speaks out about, he says something about Islam they don't like, and he's Islamophobic, and he's a hate monger. Well, then he's out. And then everyone's, you're cast out. And the more people, you, if you keep casting people out, there's nobody left. What happened to that group of people, man? I, I, I want to be, because I agree with liberals on so much, on so many social issues, but with the language policing and the easily being wounded, they have totally lost me. And it's like I want, it's almost like I keep wanting to walk in that door and be a member of that club, because I agree with a lot of the other stuff, 
but the language stuff absolutely keeps me out because the guys that have stuck up for the speech recently yeah. have been conservatives. Yeah. Hannity, Sean Hannity stuck up for oh. Opie and Anthony. Not one liberal stuck Oof. up for Opie and Anthony, even though, look, they may say a lot of stupid things, and me as a guy, Hannity's sound clip was, if you don't like it, change the dial. Yeah. That was his soundbite on, on them. So it's like, where are the other people uh, in, in the liberal camp sticking up for stuff that they don't like? You have a really good bit in the special um, where you talk about, and I think this is absolutely true, that every time there's an election for whatever, people are like, well, we wish we could have a genuine human being. We just want someone who's relatable. We want someone who's, you know, who's, who's honest. Oh, yeah. And then you looked at Anthony Weiner. You talked about him. Who, who In your bit, you talk about, well, he sent dick pics, so he's the most relatable guy right. in the world. But you can't have it both ways. You can't have a guy who is publicly flawed like everybody is and then want and then get mad at him for it right i mean you can't have it both ways and and so you wonder who are these crazy egotistical masochists that get into politics they are not the best and brightest anymore because what lunatic would jump into that arena well they're the best three card monty players they're the best at covering everything up and shifting it and moving it around but we kind of demand that of them i've stopped hating them i mean they are all liars but it's just a different level of liar. Yeah. Like, um, you know, I love when everybody went after Obama when he had, uh, and, you know, and I have mixed feelings on Obama. He's okay. There's things about him I don't like. But they went after him for Jeremiah Wright. Oh, my God. He knew it, Jeremiah. Yeah. It, what, you think there's anybody going to get elected president that doesn't have annoying or scummy or crooked friends? Like, come on. You can't get to that level of politics without having the creepiest, awful pile of friends. Um, you know, you just hope that you're not Bill Clinton and they don't have friends like the guy in Florida yeah. who's having sex parties with teenagers or whatever he was doing. Like, you hope it's not that bad. Yeah. yeah. But they all have awful friends. So come on, stop you, it. You can't, ju- yeah, you <clears throat> can't jump in the swamp and stay clean. I mean, you can't do it. There's yeah. no way. Um, for all this talk, though, about um, outrage culture, you dec- I was pretty interested. You, start the, the, you started your special with someone whose behavior was pretty outrageous. Bill Cosby, uh, start with sure. Cosby, and you went right at it. Now, that's someone who seems, I mean, the, the, we talk about the court of public opinion, but you talk about it in the piece. I mean, you, not that many people can lie. I mean, yeah. you just can't be lying about it. And, I don't believe they're all lying, no. Um, as a comedian, you went right for the, the third rail. You went right for it. And that, sure. it, is that just, that's, is that what's most interesting? What, what's most appealing to you? Is that just what your job is, to grab at it? I wanted to just go around. I didn't want to have to lead into it. Yeah. It was more fun for me. Just to open up. And I knew people people loved it on the road when I was doing it because they felt like they, there was no walking in. We're here. Yeah. This is what we want to hear about because it's you know, a very topical thing. And uh, you know, it's a big story. I mean, it's a big, big story for a while. Three more women came out yep, between, over the weekend. Yep. And it's one of those things where – are some of them lying? Very, probably. Whenever there's a gigantic case, there's always people that will pile on to try to get a payday. But uh, I would say the majority of them probably are not lying. Yeah. So I wanted to make fun of it, and um, you know I want—I I didn't want to make fun of the victims because I just didn't find anything to make fun of there. I'm not saying again any subject is okay, but to me the joke was on was about Cosby and what a creep he is, and how I used it to make myself feel a little bit like less of a pig. <laughs> yeah, and also uh, people who are supporting him, like how blind are you that you're supporting this guy? His TV wife. His TV wife. <laughs> yeah. Like shut up, Felicia. Like. I don't think she was bash. Camille, I kind of understand. Although I've had enough of the blind spouse too. Yeah, like that dumb Sam D- Sandusky's wife, Dottie, pretending she didn't stop it. Yeah. You know, we give way too much to the spouses in these. Well, they're married to them. If you if you think your husband is is raping for for these years and you stick by him, you're just as kind of creepy and guilty. I'm sorry, you know. And maybe Camille didn't know he was doing it, but you damn well know she she's got to know he's guilty at this point. And come on. 
would have to. I mean, unless you're absolutely stupid. But you also make a, and I think it's an important distinction to make. You talk about crimes that have victims. You know, like um, you, you, you know, you, you talk a little bit about what would have happened if you had been packing a gun in a certain situation. Sure. You would have been a real victim there. And you talk about with Cosby, there's real victims there, sure. as opposed to words that fly out and people then are either heard or not heard by. There's a, there's a distinction there that you draw. Yeah, absolutely. I, I try to make my to at least clarify why I'm saying what I'm saying, just because people always want to criticize you and come after. So when I'm doing stand-up, I really am trying to build in a defense into my act. Like somebody asked me one time about writing, and when I write something, I try to cut off the exits as I'm going. Yeah. And then by the time I get to where I want to go, I feel like I've sealed people in. Um, so they have no choice but to go through the door. Like, you know, whether, 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 no matter what the bit is, like if you, if you know you're going to get to something that's offensive, I'll do a bit about being offended and how much people suck who are hypersensitive. And then the crowd, yeah, they sign up for it. And then the next thing you know, you're talking about something that's really offensive. So they might want to back out, but they just signed up for it by saying, we hate people too who are offended. Yeah. So you try to sometimes build bits a certain way where... Like, if I'm going to talk about how much it's okay to say anything, so I try to build it in with, uh, you know, we were raised to to believe that it's what you did that's important and not what you say. Because that's how I was raised. You know, your actions speak louder than your words. Right. You know what I mean? It's what you do that means something. Don't promise something. Actually, just go through it. Yeah. So we're just totally the opposite right now. One question that I've seen come up a lot when these things have flared up on Twitter, Trevor Noah, no exception. Yeah. Some people say, I've seen people tweet things like, why do comedians get special permission? What makes comedians special, magical people who can say anything without consequences? So I have a comedian sitting across from me. Sure. What's the, what's the answer to that question? We don't people get special it. treatment. Um, Bruce Springsteen wrote a song about AIDS. Um, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio played a slave owner who had blacks fight to death in Django. Um, Robert Reed played a slave owner. There's a million examples of actors how about Kevin Bacon playing a child molester in The Woodsman? Mm-hmm. Um, all of these actors, all of these songwriters, all of these poets, and Stephen King murders children in his books. Why does Stephen King have the right to kill children in his art? Every performer kind of wants to do an exploration of the darker nature of things. Yeah. So why should these people be allowed to and just do this with their hands? But if comedians do it, we're criminals or we're terrible or we mean it. And people say, well, that's how you really feel. Like I said, there's times where it is, yeah. and there's times where you exaggerate because you want to uh, you know, make the joke better. But even if that is the case, how do you know that's not how Stephen King really feels? Right. How do you know that he's not really racist when he's writing a character dropping N-bombs? Yep. We, give, we never once criticize Stephen King because you'll be seen as an idiot if you go after Stephen King. But for some reason, comedians, people still feel comfortable. So we don't get special treatment. I- I mean, I, in my experience, which is limited, like no one polices comedians more than other comedians. I mean, you guys are people are very, very insular. You're aware of each other's work. You're very critical of each other's sure. work. And I would imagine if you saw someone get on stage and toss around the ideas you're tossing around, but without any thought, that would be maybe that would be offensive to you. I mean, you wouldn't shut them down. We talked. We already covered oh, yeah. that. But when you see someone, if it'd be, it's it's very hard. What I think, what you do in your act, and what other comedians who tackle stuff like this do, because you, you you're giving it that extra layer of thought, you, the accumulation of your experience, the years you've been doing this, and then you put it out there. You can't just go onto the stage and going all the way back to what you said at the beginning, throw that M80 in the crowd. That's not what you guys are doing, right? And I would imagine that you would not like that if you saw someone on stage doing that. I wouldn't respect the laziness of it. Like okay. the lazy writing. Like yeah. Comedians police each other for being hacky or thieves. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. if a comedian's trying to be original, 
Because there's ultra-conservative comics, and then there's ultra-liberal comics. So comedians never care about that. There's comedians that go out there and just drop the filthiest stuff. But some of them are very, very funny. And then guys like John Mulaney, who are very clean and clever. Mm-hmm. So whatever your angle is, if you're very funny and very original and you're thoughtful, regardless of what you're doing, yeah. people are cool with it. That's how we really police each other. But guys going up there and just... Um, Shock value comics are boring. Yeah. Just like purposefully cutesy comics are very boring to me. Yeah. Guys that say nothing opinionated can be very boring to me. Not always, but they can be. Is there a, a I mean, when we think about like the fraternity of, of comedians, like I think about, I think about, you know, any season of Louie where like a bunch of guys, you included, yeah. and some women are often just backstage or willing to be part of the show either as themselves or lightly fictionalized versions of themselves. There does seem to be this this collegiality community. Do you feel that same feeling with most comedians, like people who are outside of that circle? So I don't know, like you mentioned Mulaney would be an example or someone like Aziz or like Tignataro, people who are on the other coast who are doing their own thing. Sure. Do you feel like you're all in the same business? Absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, I know Aziz since he started coming around, and I know Tig from working on the road with her yeah. years, you know, 10, 12 years ago. Um, and Mulaney just from when he was younger coming up and no one knew who he was. So, yeah, you feel a connection with them immediately because we're comics. Like, I've met comedians a lot more famous than me. Like, uh, Cedric the Entertainer uh, is a guy I'd never met before. And it was a weird thing. Whenever you meet celebrities, you never expect them to know you. Yeah. But Cedric on a plane, we saw that. She goes, oh, hey, man. And I just we just immediately, or Seth... Uh, Myers when I met him yeah um, you know I'd never met Seth and he's much more famous than I am but I just on the planes we were getting off I just felt like I knew we're just I'm just talking to him at the White House Correspondence Center and I knew that he knew me and the comedians have this weird thing with each other where even if they're much more famous than me I kind of know that they know who I am yeah um, or hope they do yeah and I have a comfort with them that I, I don't have with an actor who's on the same level as me even you know what I mean like yeah there's just a weird maybe other actors have that maybe musicians I'm sure have that but whenever it's somebody who does what you do Mm -hmm. there's something you just get with that person Um, so you feel comfortable with them you know would I be nervous meeting Eddie Murphy yeah I I like Eddie Murphy but you know what I'm saying Jim Carrey I've never met would he know me maybe not yeah but the point is that we feel this uh, just an instant, immediate connection to, to somebody. Do you still feel like pushed and challenged by other comedians' acts? Like because it's it's odd because what you do is public. I mean, you get up on stage in front sure. of people, but crafting your material, you're in your head a lot, right? I mean, you're writing your material, you're thinking about it, you're processing it. So when you see someone else's set, does it still light a fire under you? I don't watch other comedians just for that reason. I don't want to know what they're doing. Interesting. Um, okay, if I'm doing Bruce Jenner stuff, if I'm on third, I'll ask the guys before me, do you do any Jenner stuff? Like, if it's so new, I don't want to step on it. Yeah. But um, no, what motivates me is that once I, that's why I like to shoot, because that's my motivation. Like, a lot of guys will do the same act for five years. Yeah. Ten years. But if you film something, you better work on new material. Yeah. So that's my motivation. I film it, drop it, start over. That's how I like to work. So that my motivation is let's get to another hour. That seems to be a, I don't know if it's a trend or if it's just something we're more aware of now because Louis famously was said that he was doing it and he's been doing it and yeah. now Aziz is doing it, you're doing it. Has that always been the way some comedians have worked or has it become, or is the pressure, not the pressure, but is it more of a thing to do now because you want to be out there working, you want to have, I, I don't know what the reason. I think honestly the reason, like, depends on the comedian. The reason I do it is because there is a lot of my stuff that's, that has a shelf life because it's topical. Um... And I want to film it before it's too long. And then if the special five years from now, people go, oh, I don't remember. Okay, then don't. That's why I try to put other jokes around this stuff. Or I try to do references that I either A, explain where mm-hmm. they're going to be evergreen, or B, 
I, I wind up chopping a lot of stuff that is, is, is only works if you know the story from this week. Like, right. There's a lot of references that get chopped out. Right. Um, so, like, you know, I, I'll have originally have a, a 15 minute, or I probably had a 12 minute bit on Mel Gibson in the special. It's three minutes or whatever it is. Or I had, you know, a, a lot more on Cosby, but it gets chopped down. Right. Because, again, some stuff is just so that month right. that it won't hold up. So there are things I definitely take out that are too, won't get a laugh unless you saw it last week. I was just reading on the way here, I, I, so I don't even know if you were involved in it at all, but there's a documentary that Kevin Pollack did. Oh, yeah, I did. Uh, I, I, I'm in that's called uh, Misery Loves Comedy. Right. I was doing uh, Q&As with Kevin at Tribeca. Okay, so you are involved in it. So. Yeah, I'm doing Q&As, and I still couldn't get into the stupid Tribeca party at the end. <laughs> that's how non-famous I am. Oh, Not no. Kevin's party, yeah. but the big Tribeca Film yeah. Festival party that they have. The list was full. Suddenly. No, yeah, I mean, right. I, I think it probably was, but it's like, Jesus, what do I have to do? Did you see Cedric the Entertainer walking in? No, and <laughs> yeah. Like, and he goes, hi, whoever yeah, you are. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I, I asked like, my publicist, you got the list of, I'm like, come on. Jesus Christ, I'm doing something for the festival. <laughs> you think I'm dumb? I'm getting paid for this. Yeah, that's not oh, fair. Well, so this, I haven't seen the documentary, so you can tell me if I'm wrong, but it seemed interesting to me because it seemed like what Kevin was doing was trying to connect the dots between people who are very funny and yeah. whatever person things that aren't funny in their lives and in their ha- history and in their the way they think about things that drives them to do it is yes. that fair yeah he was trying to get to people like the depression or do they have yeah. anything uh, uh, wrong with them and it was an interesting piece because you know kevin got comedians very comfortable with him because we know him yeah so you know that his intentions are good so you don't feel like why is he asking me that like is he trying to get me you know yeah, like, you know gotcha that he's thing. yeah no you know he's a good guy and he's just trying to get information for his thing so i was very comfortable talking to him What's your thought on it? Not to step on what you gave in the documentary, but do you think that is a worthwhile qu- line of questioning? I mean, do you think sure. that is there is there always the you know the the frowning the frown behind the clown in the mirror? I mean, all that whole yeah. Cliche. I mean, he, he went beyond that, which was good because it's like no comedians want to talk about our process or any of that stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. I mean, com- I think being funny is a reaction to something, so you develop it when you're young. I think that uh, you just learn that you get the feelings you want from people when you're funny mm-hmm. so it's like some guys are strong and they learn that if they punch you in the chest they get the respect they want and they yeah. you know cool some people are good looking and they learn if they smile and wink at you they're invited to the party cool I was neither of those things but I, I learned that if I made funny lines uh, it just says the stuff to the teacher right. or if I wrote funny stories when I was in first grade and they got read out loud and everybody laughed oh my god that was what I, I liked feeling, that, yeah. was, that was the first high I had was writing I would write stories and my teacher would read them out loud, and people would laugh. One of the reasons why I love Louis, the TV show, um, is that it. I think it's totally unique because it strikes me as like Louis C.K.'s day job is being funny and going on stage and playing right. jokes. He has this other job now where he can do everything else. And so I almost don't even consider it a comedy, even though it's really often funny, because it's just the place where he can just try stuff because it's remo- that pressure has removed. Yeah, it's, it's a really it's a dark comedy sometimes. It's one of those things where... It's just Louis' art in a weird way. Like, this is what I want to give you. Sometimes it's very funny. Other times I don't want it to be as funny, or yeah. I could make it funnier, but I'm actually going in this direction because it's more interesting to me. So basically you're seeing just whatever Louis' mind kind of wants to give you. Yeah. And I think that's what most comedies are lacking, is that, like, the ability to just take the guy whose opinion, who, who you already like and yeah. respect. He's funny. Let's see where he wants to go with that. Now, if Louis just did a drama and there was no laughs, people go, all right, Louis, come on. But he does make it really bizarre and funny and ridiculous. And he, and he 
fails sometimes and flails and falls and some episodes aren't good and some are amazing and I feel like that's part of it and I remember last year the season was a little more dramatic at times and a little more controversial and I I loved it better than anything else he had done and I remember that there were some articles that came out about the show because there are a lot of articles that come out about that show and one of them was called like is Louis C.K. trolling the internet and my response to the piece that I wrote was I don't think he cares I think that's literally the last thing he would ever think about and that's why it's good and yeah. that sort of brings a full circle, but it's it's kind of exhilarating to watch someone say, "Here, I'm I'm trying, I'm trying this. This is what I'm doing. Yeah. I would like you to." Louis is a very confident guy. Like I'm always amazed by how confident he is. Yeah. Like the balls on that guy and the logic. He's very logical. Um, you know, you were talking one time about writers in general, and you were saying that you know on one show uh, that you know they're like. The writers did something, and he didn't think it worked. And they're like, "Well, yeah, but we worked really hard on this." And he went, "I don't care." So what? Yeah, he's, it didn't work, you know, Louis. So, but he, but he's he, he, it's not good, and he's just got this logic, and he has the ability to to do things or say things that are going to make people uncomfortable by being honest, not by being a jerk. Yeah. And I remember we were doing a scene. Um, it was I forget where it was, but. He's not afraid of people not liking him. Like, he's a, yeah. great, he's a great director of photography named Paul. And Paul wanted to do something with the lighting. And Lou goes, all right, let's just do it like that. And Paul goes, okay, I'll just put it like this. Lou goes, no, 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 I, I want it like this. And he wasn't nasty to him, yeah. but he was very definite in what he wanted. Yeah. And he just made it clear. And, uh, you know, moving people around, moving extras around, he doesn't care if they don't want to wait. And it's because he's working and making a product. Yeah. And... He's not a people-pleasing idiot who's worried about what you want. He's worried. That it's not even narcissism. It really is just a guy being an artist and going, this is what I want to do and this is what I need to do. So this is the process to get yeah. it done. And he'll take the consequences. Task-oriented, I think, is the term. We talked yeah. about it. And I asked him about it. And I think he's a very task-oriented guy, which is great. And that's like, like he's not offended either. If you go like, I don't think the script is very good. He might go like, okay, what can we do? Right. You know, I mean, I wouldn't say that to him because he's written me hilarious. Yeah. Hila- when he he told me, the beginning of like two years ago, this year you're going to say to a woman, my dick is seven feet long and it stinks. <laughs> you get to say that to somebody. <laughs> and I laughed for a week. I'm not exaggerating. Yeah. I laughed for a week <laughs> when he told me I got to say that to a yeah. woman. It was so... <laughs> what a gift. <laughs> that's such a gift. Yeah. And that is such a real Louis thing. That's such a real comedian's interaction. <laughs> like when we did that first, uh, one of the things that made the show like immediately like pop onto people's radar was the scene of Rick Chrome talking about the word faggot the and how brutal scene. it was. The yes, camera going around. That really happened. That was a, a discussion Rick really had. We were all at the cellar, and it was a heavy scene. That's a you know that yeah. word means something to people, and you know Rick kind of broke it down as to why it's not just gay people being sensitive, and uh, we listened to him. And, you know, and uh, it was kind of interesting. Of course, there were jokes. You know, comics are yeah. awkward dumbbells like everybody else. And that was why when Nick threw in that line, it worked. It was so great. But Louis just took that real moment yeah. and made that into a, a, a brilliant uh, script. But he also let it be there. He didn't try to fix it in post where he's a hero who learns a lesson where anybody right. comes off well. He just put it out there. And I think that's we don't see a lot of in art or in anything. And I and is that a, is that does that come from a stand-up mentality? Like you have to be willing to it goes all the way back to the beginning but you have to be willing to fail and you have to be willing to stand by what you say and then take it right i mean that's sort of part of the job i think that comes from the mentality of, of a very a ballsy stand-up and yeah. a courageous stand-up because he is willing to let something flop and he's taken his share of being brutalized 
you know, yeah. they killed him for Pootie Tang. Yes. Lucky Louie, which I was in every episode, yep. we had great, a lot of people watch that show, and we went up in ratings. Louie broke down the ratings to me, yeah. and why we were a success, he goes, because we're going up. He goes, new shows never go up. They, they, they find something, and they, they go down, and, go and they slope, and he goes, there's just the way, but ours is doing well, but if the critics didn't like it. Um, they thought, oh, this Louis is terrible. He's not a leading man. Same ones mm-hmm. that can't stop calling. No, I know. They're both different shows. Yeah. But just to look at him and go, wow, he stunk then, but he's great now. Or yeah. maybe you've changed your... They, like, I could see if they didn't like that show, but they liked this one. Right. But they, they really gave Louis the hardest time on that old show. But it's also the fact that we're not well-equipped to accept that some people can be do things that are great, do things that are not great. Sure. And then it's an ongoing thing. It's not... It's not build them up and then tear them down and they're gone. Right. I mean, the goal is to have a long career, right? Yeah. And be able to fail and succeed and then do it again. Yeah. Um, just to wrap up, I mean, how are you doing? What's next? I'm really good, man. Um, I have a talk show that I'm working on. Um, actually, I have a meeting. I don't know when this airs, but tomorrow with uh, a production company and we have a network that we're going to. So I'm really happy. I mean, uh, it, it's, it, I feel great about that. And I'm animating a bunch of radio characters that I do. Cool which fans have been asking me to do for a long time. So I'm happy to be doing that. And the special is on Epics and EpicsHD.com. It's called Contextually Inadequate. I hope people like it. I mean, I felt really, this is, I think, my favorite thing I've ever shot. Yeah. And a lot of people are saying they liked it better than my last ones, and I'm happy about that. Um, so I hope people like it. And if it doesn't work out, you can fall back on my job and be a journalist and write for Time Magazine and... I, but that doesn't pay. I, I've, I've never, time has yeah. never given me any money. Oh, see, that's the problem. Okay, next time negotiate a better and Podcasting program. is very hard to make money in, man. That's a hard, <laughs> hard way to make money. It's a grind. Yeah. Unless you're Corolla or Rogan or Marin, it's real hard. Or you work for a nice company that we didn't offend in this entire podcast. Grantland? So, yeah. Oh, yeah, no, we didn't, do did we? No, we did all right. No, we were pretty good. Yeah, Jim, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me. Thanks for having me, man. Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click on Podcasts.